you know the magical times when you're a little girl or boy and you're playing something and it just seems to pull together? Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. So today we are getting better acquainted with Zoe. Hi, Zoe. Hi, Dave. How did you meet me? Right. I'm not sure. I have a terrible memory. <laughs> really, really bad. But a time that I think I first met you, which might be more to do with you recounting it than me. Uh, it might be. Yeah, um, was when we were seeing a very bad production at Lancaster University. We were both Theatre Studies students yep. and we'd been assured that we should go and see a certain company because they were ex-Lancaster University students and I think I sat next to you. You did, yeah. Yeah. We sort of got to, I think we got talking going in yeah, and then we, we did. sat together. Yeah. And yes, I remember you being quite intense <laughs> interesting I thought you were quite interesting I remember ages ago we both spoke about how we'd gone to university with the expectation of finding people who really wanted to talk about Nietzsche and things like that and I rather wanted to find people to talk about Nietzsche because I know nothing about Nietzsche and I thought yeah. I could learn I think you were probably the closest Closest to talking about Nietzsche. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I didn't know anything about Nietzsche at the time much apart from the the obvious quotes but uh, I've always been quite good at bluffing, those sorts well, of things. Well, you gave the impression that you also wanted to talk about Nietzsche, perhaps. Well, you talked point. about sort of classical... We talked about sort of classical theatre. Yeah. I guess I was I was pleased to be talking to somebody about ideas and a little bit worried that I was talking to someone about classical ideas, which I know about, but I, I have a slight reverse snobbery about. Yeah, well... But, no, it was good. And yeah, no, 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 I don't mind. I... I that's where I've come from, though. No, sort of that classical side. That was obviously fine with me, because here we are. Hundreds Jesus, of years ten years later. later or something. What do you do at the moment? What do I do? I live in a house which is mine and my husband's. We've been married a very short period of time, so we're getting used to that and getting used to having a house and trying to get it into a state that feels like our home. I work for. A council as an arts officer which if I were to say that at a dinner party people would ask me what that meant and I would say that we do programs of festivals and events and um, art activities and we work with some quite well-regarded artists which is quite gratifying and they would tell me what a lovely job that sounded like and I would think hmm because sometimes it isn't <laughs> well yeah I, I think Working in a library, you always get people going, oh, yeah, it'd be really nice to work in a library. Absolutely. And it isn't always, but it is sometimes, and I guess neither of us have a really hard job. No. And we both both work in the same... Strangely enough, we both happen to work in the, for the same council. Weird, actually, it considering the fact that we came to London at slightly different times, and then we both converged. And we live quite near each other as well, yeah. so that's all very nice. The first sort of thing I thought would be interesting to talk to you about 
is Quakerism. Mm -hmm. Ever since I've known you, I've known that you were a Quaker, because mm -hmm. I don't really do small talk, do I? So I probably, probably <laughs> found out that first night. And I went to your, your wedding relatively recently, and uh, that was a Quaker wedding, which was quite an interesting experience. Anyway, why Quakerism? I'm the daughter of a Quaker and a Buddhist. So I had two choices. When I was a lot younger, I decided a lot younger, under 10, I just knew that um, I had the choice to believe in God or not to believe in God. And I decided that in the long run, believing in God was a more comfortable way of living, to have a, something else to, to look to and something else to aspire to perhaps a little bit. And then I continued going to Quaker meeting for worship. Religious Society of Friends is our full term, but Quakers, we've been called Quakers for a long time. I'd been going since I was two, and I'd always felt terribly welcomed there and loved. There's something amazing, you find it if you go into any place of worship, that there is a, a powerful feeling in the space and sometimes if you're lucky and if the space doesn't have a high ceiling too high a ceiling sometimes you lose the the soul but i i found myself connecting to that and i found myself enjoying the fact that i seem to be around a larger family of of much older people sort of who always asked me how I was doing and were impressed at me helping hand out the biscuits and things like that. So that was a lot easier to be than to be a Buddhist. I mean, Buddhism's, Buddhists don't necessarily believe in, don't normally believe in God, although they can believe in something, but with Buddhists, I wouldn't have had the extra support because it would have just been my father. And I did go and sit with him for a while. He'd sit every morning before work um, in front of a small altar with incense burning. And it was so boring. <laughs> I, I just couldn't really tie in. Whereas with Quaker meetings for worship, you'd sit in silence, but at least you'd have a chance to possibly hear someone speak at some point during the silence. Do you think that Buddhism is a kind of inner religion and Quakerism is a more communal religion? or do you? No, probably not, actually, because the idea of Quakerism is, well, one of the many ideas, is that when one or two people are joined together in worship, contemplation, silence contemplation or otherwise, their God is. God is there. To be a Quaker worshipping, you need more than one person. However when you sit in silence you are in silence with your own self there is almost a super silence that is all the combined silences of each individual person there but there's still a lot to do with yourself and i would say the same is true for buddhism my dad goes on session and he'll sit down for hours with his buddhist colleagues friends i don't know what the correct term is and there will be that super silence i would imagine i haven't been but the community aspect is just as important for well, is almost as important, I would say, for Buddhists as for Quakers. Dad does go on session. He is part of a Buddhist group. He even goes out to Holland, where the leader of the group lives now and has his own uh, temple, I'm going to call it. I think that's an incorrect term. There. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I found the, the nature of podcasting is that I hear myself back using incorrect terms all the time. So you're, you're, you're wise to, <laughs> yeah. wise to uh, qualify it now. Yeah. As a 
agnostic and generally anti-organised religion kind of person, over the years I've sort of come to think Quakerism, that's, as religions go, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably the, the best. <laughs> I mean, Buddhism, you know, you seem to have the, the, best of, uh, the best of both kind of top ranking religions there in your, in your background. But um, I remember you talking to me about Quakerism. And one of the things that I thought that impressed me was that you said you don't have to believe in God as such yeah. to be a Quaker. I'm not sure I do um, believe in God as such. Another term I find very useful for Quakers is that we're seekers. We're seekers in truth. It's an old quote. So there isn't an answer that we have. We don't have a creed like a lot of branches of Christianity do. There's just a seeking to understand. And of course, in a Quaker meeting for worship, there is that possibility, as I said, if you sit in silence, there may be a call, something that makes you stand and speak, that drives you to stand. And I've had it before, and I I didn't get the sense of a male Judeo-Christian God there going, Zoe Prosser, you need to speak to me now. <laughs> speak for me now. You need. I am speaking through you. I just got a, a powerful need to say something, and I did. And you could almost see where we got our term Quakers because I was shaking, because it was terrifying, and because it was, it was a drive. Now, I still don't know what it was. I don't know whether it was genuinely a call. You're supposed to be quite careful about not just getting up because you know you're bored. And I've done that before as well and felt slightly sheepish about it since. Not when you were I, younger? Yeah, well, no, not that much ever. At university. The thing is that I did feel like I needed to speak. But in retrospect, I'm not so sure it wasn't just that I had a lot on my mind that was worrying me, which is not the same as a true call to speak, if that makes sense. It didn't give me any comfort, put it that way. We seekers, we don't necessarily believe in God. Quite a lot of Quakers, there is an argument out there that we should be repackaging ourselves for the modern day and that we should be taking God and the Bible and Jesus out of Quakerism completely. I think that is a terrible shame and would do a terrible injustice to the many Quakers that passionately believe in all of those three things. Mm. Now wrong with the Sermon on the Mount, I always think. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it, there's nothing wrong with, with anything. Apart from that weird bit, actually, about... I, to be honest, I can't remember anything about a Sermon on the Mount. No, I mean, I know about the Sermon on the Mount. There's yeah, one actually. bit that says if you if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery already. Oh, and they, you should chop off your hand. That, uh, well, maybe. I, or, I, I don't or, know if I've read that, that version. some other item of anatomy. <laughs> at the moment, I'm a very bad Quaker because I haven't been to a meeting for worship since the wedding, which is shocking for me. It's not good at all, but life has got in the way somewhat. You can pray on your own though, can't you, if you're a Quaker? Oh, well, you can pray on your own, but it's not a meeting for worship. It's You need more than one Quaker for a meeting for so worship. So you need someone else to be there, but you don't sh necessarily share the same God. You just sort of sit no. together. No, but as I say, it's that, that sharing the same silence that's important, really. Yeah. Silence was, was, was the thing I was scared about when I came to your... <laughs> came to your wedding so I don't it wasn't too bad but I think I get the impression with weddings people you know that we were lucky that people shut up for as long as they did well I enjoy I mean I, I actually enjoyed the signs a lot more once it happened and I sort of was uh, it was but it, then again it's 
in a wedding, it's an, it's an opportunity to think about the people that you're there mm. to, to see get married and weddings in general and love and all these things, which mm. is a bit more focused. I think if I got up blurry-eyed on a Sunday morning and then had to... Yeah, you're right. You, you redecorate the house, you sort out your shopping lists, you do all sorts of things that you really shouldn't be doing. And if you're lucky, you can pull yourself back into yourself and actually focus on the silence and, and open yourself to a possibility of understanding a little bit more, a personal epiphany. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, I spent the whole of your, we- your, a lot of your wedding silence composing in my mind a, a thing I would say if I was going to get up and speak. Yeah, I uh, know, and then you texted then, yeah, it Yeah, texted at you, yeah. <laughs> so I guess, maybe, maybe I was called to, called to text rather Absolutely. than called to speak. The story I remember you telling about Quakers, that always, another one that impressed me was about that, that woman who between the I just hope to goodness this is true Lancaster University was set up by Quakers partially that's why we have grey in our graduation robes and uh it has a library. In I didn't. I didn't go to graduation. Oh, uh, you're very, just to, very just to rebellious make it clear. there. I'm oh, a graduate. I think that's actually a, that's actually a term. Oh, Can you believe it? It's a silly term. Yeah, should be, I agree. Should be ignored. No. Um. So in Lancaster Library, there is this section called the Quaker section, which is just a lot of old Quaker books and documentations and testimonies to the life of. And Quakers tend to, if if someone's lived a life and the meeting feels that that life should be recorded not that all lives aren't important but sometimes a certain life can can be used to speak to future generations mm-hmm. and it, it happens regularly it's not is you know not every death has a, a testimony written but a lot of them do anyway so though i was browsing through a book of testimonies to the lives of i think i think and i came across this amazing story about this woman can't have been any later than the early 20th century. I think it was probably a lot earlier. She'd gone out somewhere foreign. The Quakers don't tend to evangelise. We try and avoid it, but you need to let people know that there's an option if you fancy it. She'd been out there telling people about the option of being a Quaker. And uh, there was this big conflict between two rival groups. She objected to this. Quakers are pacifists. And she got into a a rowing boat and had some poor so-and-so row her up and down between the two conflicting armies on either side of the riverbank, yelling at them through a, either through a mega, well, I mean, in my head it's a megaphone. Again, I just wish I knew whether this was something that I, I dreamt up in a, in a fever because I never found that book again. Uh, I tried to find it. But I've looked I, online, I think, for the story yeah, and I couldn't find it either. But it I is know. a lovely idea, this idea of this woman rowing in between these armies and just saying, stop! Yes! <laughs> I mean, they must have just thought, crazy white lady, you know, who knows what she's on. But the thing said it stopped. I wish I could find the the document again, but it was in a random book on an entire bookshelf. So Quakers don't evangelise as a rule? No. There's such a thing as the Valiant Hundred. I don't know much about them, but they were early Quakers who went out to spread the word of Quakerism. But we got terribly, um, we've got terribly liberal. Uh, Quakers have gone through liberal and non-liberal. The way we're, we are liberal, and we keep, we've, we've always been liberal, is that women have always had a voice. We were one of the first people to object to slavery, although Quakers have been slave owners. But we were one of the first groups to go, anyone who owns a slave is not a Quaker. We have had some very strong opinions about things like music and enjoyment of most things. Now, that was the Victorian Quakers. 
prior to that, I think we must have been a bit more evangelical, perhaps when it just started out in the time of Charles II, and I think that's when the Valiant Hundred went out and started spreading the word. Because you can't form a religion without a level of evangelism. I get the, the idea that there were a couple of very charismatic people who felt called to speak, and so they went out and spoke. And, those, and then people followed them. But in America, there's still evangelical Quakers, and there's Quakers who, who have services rather than silences. But. Don't, don't, don't you get annoyed with the evangelical ones? Um, I'm a Quaker, I'm not supposed to get annoyed with the evangelical ones. But I don't understand how the religion they follow, and I don't know much about it, is any different from a number of other options that, that people could be. But the thing you think is special about Quakerism... Is that, that we don't tend to evangelise. Not that I don't tell my friends about Quakerism. Well, yeah, you do, but you've never, I've never <laughs> felt the, I've never ever felt any pressure from you, or actually any of the other people I know who are Quakers. Mm. I've never felt any, any pressure to, to become a Quaker. Yeah. However, <laughs> something that you have been a bit more evangelical about in some ways, that's quite a good segue, yeah. um, is live action role playing. You see, I thought you were going to use the fact that live-action roleplay has you running around waving a fake sword or a fake gun. So what is live-action roleplay? Live-action roleplay, oh, it's been described in so many different ways. Um, it's been described as cross-country pantomime. <laughs> it's been described as mass improvisational theatre. What it really is, is a opportunity for you to create a character you create a character in response to a world. You're given a world and you have to create a character in response to it. Now, a really good example of this is actually not the live role play I started with, which is quite tricky to explain. I've okay. been doing a Serenity LARP. It's That's a LARP right. set in the Serenity universe. The universe created by Joss Whedon in terms of Firefly and then the film Serenity. Exactly. Hmm. And what you have is a set of rules about... Imagine if you're a child and you're running around playing soldiers or, or, or I think we quested. Did you quest ever as a child? Uh, yeah, I did. I went to a, a thing called Portly Pixie, yeah, where we went on little quests. Well, you see, you, that was that a was more arranged... That was actually literally a lot. Yeah, that was a... We, we just pretended to, to quest with canes as swords and, you know... Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, I did arrows. that as well. I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, imagine that game only because it's being played with adults um, and you're not allowed to go no I totally killed you you're dead it actually has rules so you know that if you hit someone with your fake sword x number of times they're going to probably die unless they get healed in some way so you take the firefly universe and you go okay if we don't want to kill everyone immediately because there's a lot of in a lot of ways if you think about the the firefly universe people get shot at and don't get hit or if they do get hit they get a, a flesh wound it does happen that 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 they get put in peril a lot but not necessarily killed yeah. But there has to be an option for them to be killed because people die in serenity. Yeah, and well, there's no, there's no, there's nothing to lose if the if your characters don't exactly. can't die. So, um, a set of rules are shaped that, for example, if someone shoots at you, you can, for a set number of times, heroically dodge the bullet in some way, ricochets off something, <laughs> or you know. But but so so for a set number of times, you have a certain amount of luck. But sooner or later the luck will run out and you'll fall over with a with a wound of some description. That's the boring stuff. 
that's the, 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 the that's way the mechanics is one of the terms for it the rules of engagement yes the rules of, of engagement okay. but the interesting stuff is where you sit down with a group of friends and you create an individual history for yourself and a history for your group of noble fighters flying through space and you create a backstory and you know how all of your characters interact and then you go into a real scout camp and in the scout camp you go up against a storyline that's been created by volunteers who just want to allow you to have a good time and and play this out so they've created a storyline like a firefly episode the most recent one we went to we were having to land on a planet and on the planet there were two rival families so basically you have created a character within your group context your group of friends yeah. but you don't know what's going to come at you you don't know when someone's going to try and shoot you uh, in my case, I'm playing a lawyer, so quite often I get called off to, to arbitrate in various legal matters. And it's just a game of let's pretend for adults. Yeah. You know the magical times when you're a little girl or boy and you're playing something and it just seems to pull together? Mm -hmm. It's like creating a really good piece of improvisation with a group you really click with in, in theatre. Mm -hmm. It comes together and it's exhilarating and emotional and you feel real feelings but in a slightly safer context than if you were actually feeling them in real life it if it's good if it's good role play with good people who are prepared to give and take then it's just the same as that magical moment when you're a little girl so serenity larp is set in the world of firefly which is a space western. Yes, yeah, space western. And Cowboys I, in space. I, it's a series that I enjoy very much, but at the same time, I don't know. I even then, it's a lot of commitment, isn't it? To well, do. this one isn't so bad because it's once a year. Okay. It's once a year, and I'm doing the, the my group is a lot older. I think I'm one of the youngest people playing. I'm also playing with people who have all sorts of commitments much more serious than mine, like babies and running businesses and stuff like that. So my level of commitment isn't that much, neither is theirs, because they have too much else on. But what it took was us all... A, it takes trying to remember the rules most of the time, but actually you can fudge the rules so long as you have a few people that can flick through a textbook and pick up rules from a textbook the sort of people who can to pick up rules from a from a larp and all okay. you need to do is have a couple of friends that you can just whisper to and go someone did this what should i do or really what you should do is fall over because that normally normally sooner or later someone will get to you and you can go this and this and this happened what do i do now what do, so you deliberately fall over well yes because you could have been killed you don't know someone shouted something at you so you don't want to you yeah. don't want to have Cheat. carried on and cheated yeah. Doesn't, don't, doesn't, doesn't the rules of engagement of LARPing require you to not cheat then, I guess, is it? Well, it's, it's a matter of honour, dear. You know, it's that sort of uh, old idea. You don't want to be thought of as a cheat. Yeah. You don't want to be thought of as uh, someone who's looking for incredible amounts of power because there's no real power in a LARP, except for there kind of is because it's all about a level of charisma and a level of engagement. And so in a way... There's leaders, surely. There are leaders. And there will be leaders in character mm -hmm. and leaders out of character. Yeah? And the two tie very closely together. Do you ever get a person who is ferociously interested in 
being charismatic as a character, but it isn't interested yes. at all in the politics. So. Yes, you do. Absolutely get that. So you get people who really want to be an IC leader. And What's an IC leader? In character. You are the head of the Space Cowboys. Right. In character. Out of character. They could care nothing less about who's going to bring the tent for the unit to meet in, what, about, what they're doing about food. So that's, but that's the logistics. Which what, is what out about of the, character leadership. But what about the story? Ah, the story is managed by people who are on the plot team for whatever system they're running. So it's normally enthusiasts. My husband's one of them, Gary. I'm going to call him Gary. It feels weird calling him that's, my husband. That's fine, you can call him Gary. Gary is one of them. And, and they basically team together and working with the m- mythos, I suppose you could call it, of whatever world they're in, they create a storyline for everyone else's character to interact with. Okay. You say, Gary, your husband is involved in the Firefly Lab. No, his his one's the LT Lab, which is short for Lorien Trust, which is a more swords and sorcery. And that's a sort of, yeah, a fantasy world similar to... It's like like Warhammer, but real people, isn't it? I don't know. Um, I've never read any Warhammer. I've never played any Warhammer, so I don't really know, but... Well, Warhammer is a fantasy world where different pieces have different statistics and they fight back... You fight a war against another tribe and there is plots in the middle that you kind of... I guess there's no... No, no. Where it's different is it's like Warhammer meets Dungeons and Dragons, isn't it? Because there is a story. I, I, I tie it in more with something... It's Dungeons & Dragons was that children's... Dungeons and & Dragons was the thing where you all sit... I never did Dungeons & Dragons, and I only really ever painted the Warhammer pieces. I must just clarify but there's, that. There's but one... There's there's cartoons, aren't there? There there were questing cartoons. I'm they made a f- they made a they made a cartoon of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it's closer to Dungeons and Dragons then. And so it's got you a have sort of story for wizards, it. and you yeah. have you have elves, and you have fae or fairies, and you have dwarves. And, and Gary's a dwarf. Isn't Gary's he? dwarf. How tall is Gary? He's six foot. <laughs> it's it's it's. I hasten to add, it is it is a fantasy like J.R. Tolkien sort of dwarf so it's more about the culture they're recreating being stoic and uh yeah but Tolkien's drawers were quite short yeah I know but you can't <laughs> it's the difference between fizz rapping sort of hard hard skills so you have bards musicians and and storytellers and you can't be a good bard unless you are actually in real life a good storyteller and musician or musician so you can't fake that skill but you, you can fake the skill of being a great warrior to a point ah but there is a physical element there isn't is there? a physical element you have to hit someone or block someone's blows so in and in, in in that larp world is it the lorian lorian trust yeah lorian LT, trust lt sure. uh larp world they hit each other with sticks they hit each other with a fake sword or stick that is a fiberglass core with a foam round it shaped foam which is then painted so it looks from a distance good ones look like they could be real but they are nothing like real and they're not at all painful to be hit by <laughs> so long as you're not hit hard anyone being hit hard by them you can bruise and you can break someone's nose if you hit them right 
Was fizz repping. Physical representation. It's props. If you knitted a chainmail armour, that would be a physical representation. Fizz rep of... Yes, but that's where you get into tricky orders, because think of all the people, you wouldn't know this, but think of all the people that carry around actual chainmail. Well, they I've, get very knocked. I know you do, don't you? Or, you I don't, don't wear, but Gary does wear. Oh, Gary does. He, wears, he wears iron chainmail, uh, well, whatever, steel washer chainmail. But why basically. do you have to wear the heavy stuff? When you could wear the knitted stuff. Yeah. Well, you can't wear the knitted stuff because it has to be hard to, to be properly protected by um, armour. Uh, there are rules, and the rules are that the armour either has to be stiff or has to it has to be actually a physically stiff but substance. How do you decide how much real life you need to engage with the fantasy? I mean... I don't want to, and I'm sure this kind of comparison is some, one that LARPers get a little bit annoyed by. I mean, there's probably a crossover, but not a massive one. But when uh, in the S&M community, um, <laughs> there, there is a there sort of... There are LARPers who are s and I know, people, I'm sure. But, um, but they won't all be. Thing, I'm not yes, saying no. it. But they are engaging in a fantasy. Yes. And there's levels of... Um, I, I hasten to add, I don't engage in S&M, but I do listen to the Savage Love podcast which is about sort of sex and relationships. In the S&M world, you know, you have people who, like, say, this is really weird analogy. Go for it, Dave. But, there are, you know, if, if you have a rape fantasy, you don't really want to be raped. Yes. So you come up with a level that you're comfortable with kind of simulating that. So, you, you know, you find a symbol for that, a way of touching that okay. is a symbol for that. And or... Um, you know, nobody wants to actually have their head chopped off, but no. they might have a fantasy about that. So they would find a way of fizz repping, I guess, yes. that feeling or sensation without having to go as far as that extreme. So some people might tie themselves up with silk uh, ropes and other people might use handcuffs and other people might use barbed wire or whatever. I'm, you know, this is distasteful to me while I'm saying it, but... But I'm not judging people who do it. That's yeah. their, that's their, that's their, that's their thing. That's their kink, and that's cool with me. Right on. But uh, I guess what I'm saying is, who makes the decisions in the LARPing community about what is needed to be a fizz rep? It is the overall people who've built the system. So in the Serenity LARP, Joss Whedon has built the world. Yeah. But the system to bring the world as close as we can to reality so that we can play within it has been built by people, enthusiasts who love Joss Whedon's serenity. Yeah. It is them or they that have decided what constitutes a spaceship, what constitutes a gun, what constitutes the cortex. So they sit down and they work that out and they put it in the rules. The same is true of the Lorien Trust. You can't wear knitted You chain. can, but you don't get in the benefits of it. Right. You can wear it to look cool, yeah. but you can't actually have it protect you in-game, yeah? Yes. Now, that is seems to me a deliberate, and I respect yeah. this, acknowledgement of the fact that in order to not feel stupid, maybe, or in order to... In in order to forget the real world a little bit mm. better, you need to have a physical... You know, if you're running around in armour, yeah, that's harder than yes, if you're running around in considerably. plastic. Considerably, yeah. 
and the swords are quite heavy, aren't they? Not well, not heavy, usually. but they, they exist. They're physical. They're physical there. Then you can have different levels of weight. I know people who have specifically weighted handles or specifically weighted weapons to give the length of the swing a, a feel to it. Do they hurt? Uh, they can. If people's weapons are cold, the, the rubber doesn't give as they hit you, or they get overexcited, or they get scared for their characters. And, it, and there's a certain level of adrenaline that kicks in, and at that point, they can hit harder than they intended to. But there is a level of courtesy. You're in-game, you're pretending to be your character. But if you go, ow, at someone, and it's not really confused, they, they've seen you, it's almost invariable that they'll go, I'm really sorry, are you okay? And there's a level of respect in that, where everyone else will be continuing with their characters and will be continuing with fighting, but they, they're unlikely to hit the two people discussing whether someone's hit someone else hard or if someone's in pain. Yeah. And, and then if someone's actually hurt, time out will be called, man down specifically will be called, and then everyone stops, they're not allowed to continue. It's a, and a this stop. is, I mean, that's a, this is a, I mean, that's what I mean about it. To me, it often seems to have parallels with the S&M community in that they're sort of, they have safe word, words, and, they, and there are these sort of funny stories of people in bondage clubs being very polite and courteous yes. and having to establish a very strict kind of way of working you've got sort of health and safety requirements yeah in in especially as regards a massive system like the lt the lt is oh i don't know what a good explanation of the lt is the lt is a very old one of the oldest systems a larp has only been going since the 70s that means that there are larpers who've been doing it for what 40 years now there's at least LARPers who've been doing it for 20. 20. Uh, uh, 20 and going up. And people have had children oh, yeah. and they bring their children along to LARP, yeah? Yeah. Well, they do. Some of them do. Some of them to varying levels of success. Yeah. There are some LARPs out there that are incredibly children friendly. Laurie and Trust tries to be children friendly and is children friendly, but there is less for children to do. And personally, I wouldn't bring, if I had children, I wouldn't bring them to events. Because I think there'd be so much they'd be bored by. And you all camp, don't you? There's yeah. a, there's a you camp in the in the LT world, which yeah, law and, and trust world, and not quite world. often in the Serenity world you camp as well. It's, oh, cool! It's cheaper. Typically, a ticket for a smaller event by the LT and for Serenity run from anything between thirty-five and forty-five pounds for a weekend. So you're, you're paying some money, and there's a an organisation that's essentially the money goes towards the LARP. Yeah and to pay a few people to administrate yeah. sometimes in some of the LARP. In the larger LARP systems, yeah. yes, but I don't think Serenity they ever get money for. You, you're getting uh, a, a kind of collective story that you're all creating. You, mm. you, you have characters mm. uh, and you also get the social element of mm. it being a big sort of get-together and party and group of friends, campfires yeah. and all that great stuff. Your characters, mm-hmm. is your Faye one still alive? Yes, the first character I ever did is still alive at the moment. She has a, a hit on her that keeps cropping up, so sooner or later she will die. Oh, so someone keeps trying to kill her. Yeah. How, how, how old is she? How long has she been going on? Since I started, so that's probably around 2004. Or you held out till after university, didn't yeah. you? Because there was a few people I knew of, or knew, kind of socially, of who were socially, yeah. who were friends of yours. I thought uni. it was silly. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was silly and it was nothing like the real thing of theatre. And now, of course, I find actually it's 
that the high you get off a really good LARP is actually exactly like the real thing of devising. Well, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because there's no... Theatre, there's a gap between the audience and the art, and this is yeah. bridging that gap in some ways. In some ways, although you couldn't watch a LARP, it would be silly. You'd have to take part. No, absolutely. Yeah. And this is the same with computer games, yeah. isn't it? You can't watch a computer game, no. it's boring. But yeah. if, if you're playing a computer game, it's an exhilarating experience. Oh, I don't know. I mean, watching a LARP could be funny if you just wanted to see a load of people wearing weird costumes, running around doing something weird and shouting. Weird things like strike down and uh, mage bolt your head. <laughs> it's funny. But if you're in that world, it's not funny it's part of the world and if you start hearing those sorts of calls you have a weird issue in that you have to kind of go maybe I don't hear them in real life because in in the LARP real life because they're all calls that tell you something but they don't actually happen it's not like anyone's wandering around going strike down you just know that if someone shouts strike down and hits you you fall over and you have to have your back touching the ground so it is kind of like a real life computer game experience yeah. where you've got sort of statistics in the side of your viewfinder yes. and your your all of these elements are sort of your but the great thing about it is for someone who's not actually very good at statistics and things like that you can kind of wing it and i went for years at the lt not knowing the rules very well and i still don't brilliantly know the rules and i still have to re-remember certain things you just like running around and hitting people i with just sticks. like running around hitting people with sticks and the the, the world that you can create and is that a very quaker thing to do not though? at all i at first didn't want to be anything to do with having a sword but there's two things that happened. If I want to make myself feel better, I could say that the feminist part of me, LARP is predominantly a boy thing, and it seemed very unfair that the boys should have all the fun. And that the girls, I, I chose to be a healer, um, someone who fixed people, and I do like wearing girly clothes, and LARP gives me a chance to wear corsets and flowing skirts and all sorts of things like that, which I really enjoy. But on the other hand, if all the men in LARP are enjoying themselves running around hitting people and making them fall over and all the girls are wandering around healing people wearing skirts and corsets, everyone's going to get a very skewy idea of what men and women are like. So I decided to run around in a corset and long skirt hitting people. And, you know, it's not real. You're not no, actually I'm breaking not actually, your And that's the other pacifist. side of things. It's not real. I'm not actually trying to hurt anyone. And I wouldn't try and hurt anyone, I hope. And if you get it all out in LARP, you, you never have to I'm worry about doing it I'm quite an aggressive, physically aggressive person anyway. <laughs> I, I, I have a lot of aggression floating. What Zoe means when she says she's a physically aggressive person is that she, she's got a temper, not that she actually physically acts out on that temper, no, really. not normally. Lastly, before I sort of move yeah. away from LARP, what do you think of zombie LARP? Have you heard of zombie I LARP? I have. Um, doesn't interest me. No. Because uh, the thing I really enjoy about this LARP is the slower way of getting to know someone's character, their fantasy character, but yeah. you also get to know a lot about the person by the yeah. character they play. That's the high, partly it's getting to know people. Because I mean, I saw a presentation about zombie LARP, it sounded cool, uh, and it, it, it's all about quick turnaround of character. Exactly. You die really quickly, and they say that the story happens afterwards, people talking about their experience of the game. They had the problem that you were talking about, that uh, people would just die straight away, and they've sort of made that the, the point of it. Yes, exactly, But and that's not a bad thing. I think there's lots of different ways to enjoy LARP. I stayed with the LT for ages and I love it still. I love a lot of the people I've met so many. I've met my husband there. I met Gary there. That's true. You are, yeah. a, you are a LARP romance. Uh, romance. 
But um, on the other hand, I've started playing other systems now and uh, it's a lot of fun. I think you should play a number of different systems. There's but who's got the time for one? Exactly. That's the thing. There, there is a level. <laughs> That's why, in a way, Serenity is so good. It's because you only have to give up one or two weekends a year, as opposed to with the LT, I go for four, five, six, seven, eight, ten ish. It's, it's a big commitment. It's hard to meet up with you, pers- like personally speaking. I find it's hard because you're often just away at weekends. Aren't you? It's not. I mean, it's not just the LARP that makes you away at weekends, of course, because you become very good friends with people who live in Gloucester or people who live in Hull oh, or people who live. So if you're not going to LARP with them you might very well be going to visit them yeah and these are people who you've become very close to so and you share a world I guess you share a world and and then you share the running of the world because when you want to start helping out your friends who are running systems and you for example book campsites for them and stuff so you end up being on the phone I've phoned a couple of people from Gloucester about five times last week because I was going I found a campsite for you guys to run your LARP on um and, and discussing that and then you get into other discussions and it's a way when you and I were doing theatre studies we get together and we talk about theatre and That's about right. how we didn't like certain <laughs> lecturers and about what we felt about what we were learning and all of that stuff and it's exactly the same with LARP it just gives you a, a way of talking to someone who you like um, okay just to round off the the topics with a very sort of curveball but I guess one that yeah. I don't, know how to link, I don't know how to link this one in. Um, yeah, I don't know how to, to link it in. My mum has a terminal illness. There you go. There you go. And it's one of the things that we first... I guess it's what made us close initially. Possibly. I honestly don't remember how we got close. Well, I think it was during the time when I was doing that party is when I thought... She is definitely like one of my closest friends, gonna mm-hmm. become or is becoming or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a play which I had to get naked in, and you were doing that the props. That's so funny. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean you being naked was funny, but um, I just remember being in a room full of naked men doing star jumps. Uh, yeah, that must have been strange. Oh, it was for someone who'd never seen a naked man, frankly. Well, no, I don't think I'd seen many. Maybe one or two on stage. It was an experience. Well, yeah, I guess we we did our bit for sex education. There you go. <laughs> um, during that time, you were there more than the director was sometimes, yeah. and, oh, yes. and we, went, we yeah. sort of got talking about things. And we went away and we did we did a, a theatre production in in Edinburgh together, so that yeah. got us very close. And in both of those ex- times, we we sort of talked a bit about um, your mum's terminal illness. Yeah, and my dad, who I've who's will be on the podcast a few times who is 87 now and was 58 when I was born and I'm not really saying that it's the same but no, we there, there, are there are similarities we both we both grew up with a sort of expectation and my dad had a heart attack and he's had a heart by quadruple heart bypass so I have always been prepared for him dying and you I guess have always been not really. Since, well, when, when did it happen? When, when, did when it... she she was diagnosed with myelofibrosis when I was around ten, I think. But we weren't told till I was sixteen. Right. And I'd been told prior to that. 
things, little things about mum going to the doctors and stuff like that. So I'd picked up that there was something. But I was very lucky because mum's illness isn't one that, that causes massive symptoms. So it's not like I was dealing with someone who was very tired or very ill a lot of the time. So it, it was when we were 16 that we were called into one side, um, to one side by my parents and told that uh, mum has a terminal illness and at that point it had got worse for a while and they thought that she was going to have to be started on different medication and so they thought that they'd been going to therapy, mum and dad, and they'd been basically told by the therapist that they should tell us, my sister and I. So we got told then, which meant that it was actually weird, you know, you, you get told something that everyone kind of knows, which is at some point your parents go, or your mother is going to die. But then we didn't know when. She'd been told that she was unlikely to pick up her pension, which I knew was vaguely somewhere in the 60s. Mm. But I'm now, in retrospect, I'm 28. She was 30 when she had me. So she's 58. And she's 60. It's 60 yeah. is when she, she would be picking up her pension. So the, her symptoms haven't got significantly worse, although she has a swollen spleen, which causes various problems. But apart from that. Because I read some poetry that you'd written at the time, yeah. I think. When I was uh, a child, younger, yeah, 16. and it was. I thought it was very moving. I don't know. You, you, you I, th- I will, I've always thought you should write more poetry. <laughs> um, I probably should, but I don't. I, I've thought that myself. But it's, it's, it's finding something to write about. You're too busy laughing. Yeah, you, I know you disapprove. I know. <laughs> I, I don't disapprove. I don't disapprove. You kind of do because you think I could do something else. Y- I mean y- something. All right, yeah. Yeah. I don't disapprove of people LARPing. Yeah. But I think that you have a lot you could do artistically that you are putting into LARPing because, you know, because it's fun and you can get it out. And, hey, I don't blame you. Yeah. I mean, it seems much more gratifying uh, to do LARPing than it does trying to get things published. Oh, I think guaranteed. From, from the people that I know that are trying to get things published, guaranteed LARPing is more gratified. Cause it's like, it's <laughs> gra- LARPing, uh, sorry to tie back, but it's, yeah, like, it's got like seeing a piece of theatre. You, um, n- 80% of the time it's a bit, a bit shit, but those 20% of the time, when it's amazing, when it's blow you out of the water amazing, that's what makes you keep going back. And I, I mean, I can, and I can understand yeah. that. I mean, in a, what, what this is, what this is. This is yeah. me going. Well, I can't necessarily get published in the conventional sense at the moment. How can I connect with an audience yeah. and make art? And that's I found podcasting. So I didn't really sneer at you. No. But you should write some poetry. You can write it on the in the tent after your laugh. When I wrote poetry about mum, it it tied directly into very intense emotions. We um, had a, a poet who, who came on a creative writing course with us and he said that, um, I can't remember his name unfortunately, he's a, he's a published poet, um, and he said you shouldn't ever, there's two sorts of poetry, one is the sort of poetry that you write when you're incredibly emotional and you scribble it down and you put it to one side and then you write the other sort of poetry which is the sort you would consider publishing. Yeah, that's what you said to me before. Yeah. And I know that the kind of poetry you prefer is the 
there's stuff that's very well thought out and uh, yeah like he's talking about but my opinion is sometimes the emotional stuff when it's coupled with great perception and clarity and it's well worded which I yeah. think yours was that can be the most kind of the, you know that's it might not be technically the best poetry but it's the poetry that speaks to other people about something although the problem with that is that it can cheapen the emotion for you for you because if you give someone that to feel I was speaking to someone who'd suffered possibly the worst loss you can imagine suffering and we were speaking about the fact that they were saying they didn't show very much emotion in public and when they did they they were very happy seeming we were talking about why that would be why you would feel like you didn't want to show your emotions and it's because I think and they thought that there was some truth in what I'd written to them we were writing at the time that if you wail and tear your hair and create a scene in public, even that is nothing close to how you actually feel about it. It's nowhere near as deep and dark and painful. It's, it's cheapening it. But if Quakerism <laughs> is about finding the truth and expressing the truth, or at least knowing the truth in, knowing the, 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 in oneself. You know, you have to... I mean, isn't one of the things that poetry does or are talking about an experience? I, I don't have any shame. I, I actually think that, that the poetry that I wrote, that I... Yeah, that I, I don't write incredibly emotional poetry. Um, or didn't. No. I, I should speak in past tense because it's been years since I've written. I think the last thing was a very short thing I, I scribbled when I was staying over at your house one night uh, in Lancaster um, about swans. I can't remember much more than that. No. But, uh, <laughs> but um, it, it's never that emotional. When I'm writing emotionally, it's a word vomit on paper and it, it doesn't turn into a poem at all. It's just a blah. But um, writing poetry about my emotions you divorce it a bit and and so it's not I don't feel like my poetry is incredibly emotional or incredibly or was incredibly emotional because it was a bit more analytical about how I was feeling and how we were coping as a family. Well it I mean it, it resonated with my own um, feelings about my about my father's mortality I guess and uh, you know I've surprised that he's a lot I mean I'm not surprised in that he is very healthy and so I, I in some senses I never expect him to ever die but in other senses I've you know he's, he's 87 now and I have this horrible up. urge I'm going to say it on your podcast well we can race parents <laughs> race, race, race them see well that's what the funny thing is when we first talked about it I think we were I I, I mean I I had felt like your what your piece of writing expressed I'd felt like that when I was a teenager yeah. but by that time in my life I'd stopped I mean I, every so often I guess I must have been thinking about it a bit because I wrote a play about a character whose father dies um, a, a radio play around yeah. uh, in university so I must have been thinking about it a bit but I, it wasn't part of my day-to-day -day life 
No. Uh, well, I don't think it was part of yours anymore. It's much. Well, it, wa- it was when we were, because of course I was 16. 17, 18 was dealing with various family issues, and then immediately I went away to university. And at that point, I had massive amounts of issues because they were all. N- I wasn't with them, and it had only really just happened from a, an emotional point of view. So I was still dealing with stuff. Uh, now, yeah, it's it's more more divorced from from the so front of my of, mind. You had held yeah. off, and then when you were alone, away from the family, you could sort of look back at it, and it. No, no, it was all sorts of worry about keeping about how they would manage without me. That was what it really was. Um, there was all sorts of issues floating around there, but again, but, but happily. You know, they, they were fine. They did. Yeah. And, and that's the funny thing. I mean, I, I had a diff- very different family. Complications. Uh, I guess I was worried when I left home that that, that that I wouldn't, wasn't, that, yeah, me not being there would be bad, that I wouldn't be there yeah. for the people who would need me. And in hindsight, I think it was a good thing that I left because they, they stood in their, they found their own way of getting by without me. And now when I go home, it... I cause more friction than is necessary. <laughs> I'm I'm luckier than you in that sense, but I well, in that when I go home, I don't tend to cause friction. <laughs> they they did fine without me. They did fine without me, but it, it took a while to 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 trust that because I wasn't sure how they would do. Do you think you you and me are the kind of people who worry a lot about how other people are coping and don't really think about how we cope ourselves very much? No. <laughs> Um, I'm pretty confident that I'm okay. There is something in me that copes. Don't know why. I'm quite pleased with it. But at a time when my family was breaking down, um, everyone in my family was breaking down, I didn't. And while that made me feel a little bit resentful at the time, now I'm just so grateful that I didn't have to go through what they went through. Oh, Jesus, yeah. and if part of the way I cope is by worrying about how other people are coping, then great. Whatever that keeps me Gives away you from to focus yeah, on. whatever keeps me away from 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 being depressed or ill. That's that's a good thing. People who've sort of listened to all three strands of of, of this podcast together, I think I don't know, it says some interesting things about the complexity of people maybe that, that you are a lot of different things and yeah. there's something in the middle of that yeah I think that that thing is possibly the thing that writing and and worship Quaker Quaker worship at any rate and I'm pretty sure Buddhist worship as well begins to pull together all those different strands of self um, which is partly why I'm feeling bit guilty about not going to meeting for worship because it's not just guilty about you know being a good Quaker but it's guilty for myself because I haven't been pulling those strands together as closely as perhaps I and should being be. a sort of the whole yeah. holistic person yeah that is holy I guess yeah I mean is that the thing is it the that's experience that's very neat I'm not sure that's uh, right <laughs> that that is a whole person I'm not sure what holy is okay <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, okay, well, <laughs> that's a whole different conversation, I guess, but I don't know, as someone who doesn't really, I don't, I don't know, the closest to religion I get is 
writing, maybe moments when I am drunk or in similar kinds of states of mind where... State of joy. State of joy, yes. That's the closest I get to. That's the closest I get to religion. Um, the last question that I'm asking everybody is just, uh, do you have anything to plug? Which is a very strange question for most people, but I just want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to get anything they can from it. Well, if anyone wants to try out LARP, <laughs> they're very welcome to get in touch with me through you. Okay, that's... Uh, but uh, otherwise, um, no. Cool. Alright, well thanks very much Zoe. It's been a pleasure getting acquainted with you. Reacquainted. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at UBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.